dance if we want to We can leave your plans behind Cause your friends don't dance And if they don't dance Well, they're no friends of mine Say, we can go where we want to you can go where you want to, and you found your way here to the Safe Toddles Podcast. I'm Dr. Grace Ambrose-Zakin, your host. This year's Safe Toddles Podcast is sharing the over 100 interviews of employed adults who are blind or mobility visually impaired that I conducted between the years 1999 and 2001. And we're counting forwards from the oldest to the youngest. This week is the interview I conducted with Terry on August 22nd, 2000. The way I met Terry was she was working at the train station that I often use to commute to and from New York City. And I took a lot of trains. So she worked at the Croton Harmon station. And so what that meant, is, you know, really seeing her a lot and it was obvious to me that she was blind and she was always there every morning and I was doing this project. I finally just asked her to be a part of it. I had no knowledge that she'd never had any formal O&M instruction, even though she was born mobility visually impaired. She did lose all of her vision as a 40-year-old wife and mother. And when she lost her vision, she bought a long cane, uh, but she really grew up without a mobility tool being born in 1933, before the long cane was invented. And so her story is about her growing up really without any mobility tool. Um, she talks of having a soft life, she, that she really didn't need to learn to use the long cane or to get O&M instruction because she always had someone to take her where she needed to go. Wherever she went, she had a system. But it was a several months or could have been who knows how long before I made my way back to Croton um, uh, to find a, uh, she had passed away. And I was curious. So I asked her daughter, you know, what happened? Terry was a smoker and she had a routine of taking the old elevator um, down to the train platform to smoke. So she'd be outside, but still within the confines of the train station. Then she'd ride the elevator back up to where the store and the bathrooms were. She got on the elevator uh, to get back upstairs. And as will happen, she, who knows, she pushed the button, didn't push the button. Someone pushed the button after however long. To She'd never left that platform level. She'd never gone back up. But you know how it is. You're on a elevator the doors open you get off you assume you're at your floor which is what she did and she turned in the direction of her booth and instead of being heading upstairs towards her booth she was heading straight for a track and unfortunately it was the track that the Amtrak train was heading into and at the same time she stepped off the platform and she was she was hit by the train and she died and you have to always wonder if she had ever had a long cane, would she be in that position where she didn't know where the edge of the platform was? So even if you're confused, if she had a long cane and she was good at using it, when the cane falls off an edge, you stop. It gives you two steps of warning that there's a drop off. And so the potential is there that had she been a long cane user, she would have prevented her death. And
And this, of course, is the story that she talked about with me and her life growing up mobility visually impaired that was unbeknownst to her would lead to such a tragic end. So this is Terry. Tonight, I'd like to just talk to you about you. So let's get started. And where were you born? Uh, in New York. And where do you live now? In Cortland, Hudson, New York. And what do you do for a living? I run a concession stand in Metro North Station. Okay. Uh, what's your highest schooling? I have um, a master's degree and a BS, but, you know, they run down. Where did you go to college? Uh, I went to Adelphi, uh-huh. North City, and then I took uh, my master's at Hunter and Columbia. Ah! It was the first, um, it was the third uh, master's degree given for uh, in the education of the special college. Oh, wow. Way back in the year 1952, would you believe? <laughs> so, um, how long have you had a vision impairment? Well, I was born with simple cataracts. Okay. But in, I was also born, obviously, in very famous, right in the middle of the Depression. And um, believe it or not, it took, um, I think, 10 operations on one eye and 12 operations on the other eye. I still try to remove just one cataract, which today can be removed in 20 minutes. Wow. And therefore, I never had... Uh, anything but shadow vision in my right eye, and that eye uh, was a new created about maybe 30 years ago because it was starting to affect the vision in my good eye. Yeah. And, uh, um, I really never had much more than five two hundred but for a girl, um, I saw very well, you know, uh, anything within about 20 feet. You know, I, I might not be able to tell what kind of buttons you had on, color buttons you had on your dress, but I would be able to tell what the dress was, whether it was striped or plaid or whatever, you know. So that was your good eye? That was my good eye. That was my only eye. That was your only eye, right. I went to a, a public school, and um, I had a, a teacher, Rosa Orleans, but she's probably dead gone now, but uh, um, she was so far ahead of her time, it was, it was unbelievable because, uh, because of the uh, surgeries, I only started first grade when I was about seven and a half. Oh. Yeah, I was ready to go to high school when I was 11 and a half, so. <laughs> first of all, I uh, um, thought that it wasn't necessary for me to write five times six, 60 times, or 50 times, whatever you did in those days. He didn't force me to write with a, a big, big uh, pencil because it was that was not easy. And she got me a type when I was seven and a half. She reading full dark print is was the whole effort. She didn't force me to read the bulletin type books because uh, with uh, cataracts uh, you have a condition called the stagnant, like if you know, and uh, I couldn't focus on on. Uh, 12 in print, but I could on short time print. And uh, I, I was I was very lucky. I mean, yeah, but, uh, she, uh, uh, maybe skipping all those grades wasn't the greatest thing because by the time I got to, to college, I was, I was only 15 and a half and everybody else was 18. Golly. As a child, um, when did you first realize that you were visually impaired? 
know, um, I don't have any, you know, the mind is a wonderful thing here. Uh, I had 22 operations, and each one of them, I stayed in at least two weeks. So you have to figure that that was almost a year out of my childhood. And um, right now, if you ask me anything uh, about being in the hospital, I have no recollection of it at all. I guess the defensive mechanism or whatever, I just blocked it, blocked it out, and I never remember, uh, you know, being in the hospital or anything else. I have certain little things, like I hate having anything put over my mouth, and that's probably because of the anger and stuff like that. Yeah. When I first got into uh, to, to school, well, it was it was fairly obvious that you know I didn't see as well as the rest of the kids. We used to go over to the uh, Columbia Presbyterian High, but then it was the Vanderbilt Clinic. And uh, uh, one day I really felt sorry for my mother because you know here we would wait three four hours in the clinic, and uh, these doctors would gather around and say they never had seen anything like this. Uh, probably made him feel great. So one day I just walked up uh, to the chart, memorized it, and, was, uh, <laughs> and I was so surprised because when I started to do it, she cried. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that one thing um, really, really helped me. I had a photographic memory. That, that helps a lot because when I got to college, I had a reader, but five minutes after she started to read it, I fell asleep, you know? So I basically uh, had to, you know, the only stuff that I really had to have a reader for was the history. Yeah. What about your, when you were a kid, when did you first start traveling independent of another person? I went to, to high school when I was 11 and a half, and I lived on the Lower East Bronx, and um, went to my brother's trepidation. I got on the 30th Avenue L and, and rode from 143rd Street to Gun Hill Road. And when I got off at Gun Hill Road in the winter time, uh, it was like six lanes of ice and snow and fun. And, and if there's anything that, that I think the biggest, um, the biggest enemy of anybody with partial or even a blind is wind and and, uh, you know, that because it distorts your hearing. Yeah. Very limited as to what you can do, you know, and uh, there were plenty of times I was, you know, I had no depth because I only had one eye. So, uh, oh, it was, it was, it was. And that one eye is like five to 200 or something. You know, a doctor said to me later, oh, it's possible that you were able to do all that uh, and not go to a residential school. And I said, well, look. did you use to get across that big street? Well, um, I used to wait for other kids to cross, and I said, so, uh, you know, I would be damned if I was going to ask them for help, because, of course, I could see that uh, I had, had this thing. Uh, I remember one time a teacher said I was partially blind, and I said, no, I'm partially blind. I had this drive to, to use as every bit of vision that I had, because there were other kids in my class who had so much more vision than I did, you know, it was a special class, and uh, I didn't really even technically qualify for that, because uh, you have to be at least 2,200 to qualify for the old psychotherapy, God knows what it's like now. I, I was in there because they didn't know what the hell else to do with you, know? 
said, they said you should learn Braille. Well, I took Braille Slate uh, into the first class. I picked up the Braille fairly easily. And this is the first class. And the first no, noise at that time, I said, oh, no, no. So I put it away. And uh, it was crazy because certain days I could see the board. If the sun was shining in a certain light, you know, like with geometry, I used to follow. She would say, uh, angle A, and I would watch her hand on the board. And <laughs> a couple of crazy things. But when I, as far as traveling, I really tried to wait until somebody else was uh, was traveling with me. The worst thing was, was not even the, the, the six places of Gun uh, Hill Road. It was, uh, it was a double platform at White Plains. Third Avenue Mall was upstairs, and the 41st Street White Plains Road was on the second level. And But when you were crossing down below, it was black as it could be. And there were little streaks of sunlight coming through, and that was an absolute murder, you know. And uh, why is that? And there were these little streaks of sunlight coming through the tracks, you know, uh, down onto the onto the pavement, and it was, it was very um, bewildering. After a while, there were a couple of girls there, and uh, uh, you know, I have to say, in this day and age, now this was, I guess, the early 40s, uh, there were just these two black girls, they said, come on, you know, we're having trouble standing, getting, uh, standing up uh, in all this ice. So let's hold each other up together. Well, it was the greatest. Yeah. It was just great, right, you know. Then they, they would get off and dance off. I would get off and mine and walk home, you know. A lot of times my mother met me, and I never could understand why she was getting, she was so upset if I was 10 minutes late. I know now that I have grandchildren. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> I don't realize that. What is she doing, you know? <laughs> I had an older sister. And uh, we went to the movies. That was the only thing that you could do in the summertime with the bronze to keep cool. And, uh, uh, you know, whenever it came to captions and stuff, uh, you know, explanations, uh, especially the war pictures where you saw the waves coming in and, and, and everything. And the, there was writing there. I couldn't read that. And she would read it. She was great. So now to get back to, to school and back, or did you also go to the store and things like that by yourself? Now, how did you learn to get to school on the subway and all of that? Well, um, I had a couple of little tricks there. Um, there were two different trains on the Third Avenue L at the time. There was a 241st Street and a Bronx Park. Now, if I got on the Bronx Park and I got to Fordham Road, it would veer off and I would never get to Gunton Road. And a lot of times I couldn't see it before I got on the train. But I had maybe six, seven, eight stops before I had to make the, the change, right? I would uh, sit myself down opposite where the uh, line was, preferably with the sun not shining into my eyes. And Bronx Park was two short words, 241st Street with a whole bunch of long, you know, it was a whole bunch of writing. That's how I was able to tell. <laughs> See, there's no way you were going to ask anybody. <laughs> I understand that you do not want to ask anybody. <laughs> um, you know who taught me how to travel? Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, basically speaking, um, 
What kind of attitudes did your family have about you doing all this independently? Um, Oh, I, I should say that one thing that helped me a lot, which is not available to young people today, on Saturday I used to go to the White House, you know, uh -huh. no, whereas I, I couldn't roller skate or ride a bike or anything else. I could roller skate, I could ball, I could swim, I could dance. At the lighthouse. Neat. And in the summertime I went to a camp that was run by, by the near. Uh, that was tough. Uh, 
coming in and run to any place. Yeah. I think I made up my mind when I was very young that I was going to use every bit of this vision. And now, in retrospect, I'm, I'm awfully good, I think, because I got a, good, a very good look at an awful lot of things that, that uh, were important to me. Yeah. How did you learn your way around, Evander? I walk up and down north, basically. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, the Nova was too far up on the door for me to read it. Yeah. It got to be maybe it was the second door in from when you turned around the corner. Right. What do you have a travel tool now, or, or do you use a cane or anything now? Yeah, I use a cane, but now I don't see anything, you know, right? Okay, so you're blind now. You want to know? Yeah, what happened? Uh, 1984, um, I was bumping um, a wooden floor in preparation for my my daughter's first union, and. Uh, I thought I saw something on the floor later on, it just turned out to be a beam or sunlight, but I reached down and I caught the corner of the buffer in my eye. Uh, and it uh, didn't bother me at all. I, I took a couple of aspirin and uh, nothing. Nothing. You can have it on the retina without ever really knowing about it. And uh, we went down, we took the kids down to Washington, D.C. I was right after the Kennedy assassination, and they were the whole thing. And uh, I thought to myself, I was down to Washington before, but I wasn't really seeing the way that I should be. And then uh, one morning when we got back, uh, um, I opened up the faces in the uh, in the dining room, and the whole top of my eye was all red. It was like, uh, uh, no, I don't mean blood cell, I mean blue red leaves. Uh, 
I couldn't walk across a room anymore without remembering that there was a uh, coffee table there that you could just and put. Right. I didn't have trouble with the main things like cooking, factoring, and but I, I was sort of prepared. I, I kind of saw the hammer the other wall. I never had any kind of mobility or anything else like that. And uh, I never, even after my husband died in 86, a lot of people said, oh, why did you get a dog? Well, you have to love that dog. And you have, have to, you know, that dog has your life in the her hands. And I'm just not that crazy about animals, right? And you see my place of business, man, there's hardly enough to love. So now it was March first of seventy two. Now I wanna I want you to tell me what did you then get any kind of services for the blind? Never saw a social worker, never saw Gosh. Because my family was devastated. My my daughter my youngest daughter was about thirteen at the time and she thought it could be like Marcus Welby, you know, a big case you go in and uh, a couple of weeks later your mom was driving the car. Right. Happen that way, and if I didn't have such a great family, uh, as a great daughter, my husband, and uh, when I came out first, and he said to me, Oh, thank goodness you're home. We have a paper to write, don't you? You know, and uh, I sort of, you know, there was a thought in my head at the time, save the pills, you know, just end it all. Oh, wow. You know, you know what's not even doing it? Because I said, You'd be the ultimate screw up. You probably live, uh, live and become a vegetable. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. <laughs> well, yeah. Whatever it took. I am. A devastating thing. Yeah. Just some general records there. Whenever anybody loses anything like that, sight, hearing, anything, breath, uh, anything, they should be able to talk to a, psych a psychiatrist, a psychologist. You know? Yeah. teaching or orientation and mobility instruction. Being totally blind in 72, what steps did you take on your own to get you back up and uh, taking care of your family again? Well, yeah. Taking care of my family or working? Both. Uh, well, uh, as I said, my family has not been good for maybe uh, four or five years, so I basically uh, had just before, you know, I really wasn't seeing much of anything that was useful before that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you 
it wasn't the big things like vacuuming. I mean, you run the vacuum on a certain area, you hear something go in, so you go over it, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, I never found cooking hard. You know, every every time though, I used to go to make a cake or something, both kids would come, no, we'll do it. You know? Yeah. My mother, she was elderly and and uh, she had gone all these years with me and and everything else. And now to see me lose it, it, it really just broke her heart, you know. And I was dealing with that, and uh, um, and it would have been a whole lot easier if I had you know somebody to talk to. Uh, but yeah. the main thing is that Terry uh, felt that he says, "Come on, we need you back." Thank you and accepted the help because I figured if I turn them down, 
the next person, you know, they, uh, they won't help them, you know? Yeah. But anyhow, I was wanting to go there and I said, well, thank you, but like, how about going the way I was going? <laughs> came back and just go right, I think you talk to me, and don't talk to the dogs. They were training guide dogs up there. Ah! That was a good thing I didn't listen. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I think the thing that I want to talk about uh, acceptance or whatever, if you can learn to laugh, you know, there's some crazy things. I have to I'll say, I'm sorry, I don't see you. I'll say, okay, I'll hold it close. You know? <laughs> Well, because I know that there's 
garbage pail here, and I've recycled there, and I, I, you know, I know which side of the door the handle was on in the bathroom or whatever, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of thing. I just memorize it, that's all. Yeah, and basically, you like to stay in areas that you're familiar with. Yeah. Or you go with somebody. Do you ever desire to be more independent, to go by yourself more? Uh, there was a time that I, I, uh, you know, uh, I would have thought that way, but, you know, I was spoiled too. We have a whole lot of friends. My late husband and I, and Joe and I, have a huge number of friends here in, in uh, Cotton. And I have any number of people, you know, if I had to go someplace, I Sunday go to church one so it's it's just very clean and is it the same as the other one Yeah. 
and you figure out what kind of ability would you have to have to find the damn train. <laughs> Almost impossible within that much time. Yeah. Get to the, um, you know, the gateway. You can down the steps. You can walk, walk straight enough along the, the platform. But uh, that all that sound is very bewildering. So when you go to Atlantic City with your husband. What do you do to get around the hotel? Do you go to the, I mean, the casino? You know, what what sorts of things are you doing there? Well, um, uh, for a while there, we had to go with a fight a couple of my, uh, my late husband was alive. And I played blackjack for a while. It could be 10, 12 times. Oh, neat. My uh, friend and he would tell me what I had, what the deal I had. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
unfortunately, I, the one I did have good vision, I, I had left it to, you know, to uh, shop because, like, have you used, do you use maps of any kind? Real enforced maps? Uh, yeah. Do you use any kind of maps? No, I don't know that. Uh, I, I use the, the maps that the King got, like the map of the United States, and that, that kind of thing. I helped them with that thing, but no, I don't. So how did you use the map of the United States? It's a puzzle. Uh-huh. Neat. Did that help you understand things your own self? Or you already knew all that because you're so darn smart? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, the people are kind of, you know, amazed about the, you know, they, they never know exactly what to say about uh, the word seeing or things yeah. like that, you know. And obviously, if I was going to say, I was just, no, you know, they'll say, uh, did you see? Oh, I mean, we you in the room when the television was playing. That was that stupid. Yes, it is. I'm constantly playing. I read a book. I saw a movie. I saw, you know, the sure. movie. You know, and uh, after a while, people get so used to it that they, uh, you know, that they, they say to me, did you, did you watch, you know, read this last night, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You know? And now it's, it's just a natural thing for them because I use so much this thing, you know, the, uh, anything that, you know, people will say to me, I just love the game that you can't get, so that's the nicest thing I've ever heard all day. Yeah. You know, because uh, I don't want people to think, oh, she's blind and she's a woman. I want to think she's a woman, and, you know, she's a mother, she's 14, or whatever the hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, what one thing that happens frequently when you're traveling that you like the least? I'm not really sure where we're going. I, I think that's always bewildering. And sometimes uh, people want to help and uh, they get very easy help you yeah. travel. Has that ever happened to you? What? What? what tell me. So one time you were down. Tell me, tell me. Uh, I was, I, I just my uh, husband, husband and I went down to see him in in Mount Vernon and uh, um, oh he knew all about you know there was a complex uh, uh, you know there was a little bush and a little fence going into each thing and I said how the hell you know where you're going and he said I just you know like how uh, bushes or something like that <laughs> but uh, one time we were uh, um, we were waiting on the, on the corner and he knew which way we had to go and the said, oh, come on, I'll take it. And we were all the way over. Well, fortunately, Joe knew exactly, you know, uh, uh, where we were, where we, you know, where we wanted to be. Uh -huh. But, uh, uh, you know, people think well. So this guy was telling you he knew and he, and you didn't. Well, he had to, you know, he was trying to be helpful, you know. And it's amazing what they think. I mean, I think I, I used to call it the mega genius syndrome. Uh, when people met me for the first time at a wedding or something, even they figured I was on welfare and sat with a little cushion all day, figuring out what somebody else was going to cook me for the next meal. Or uh, I had uh, 180 IQ, ESP, you know, perfect pitch, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
were saying that um, not knowing where you're going is one of the things that you like the yeah. least. Um, loud noises, like um, so, sometimes when I'm coming across the station and I told Nancy I'm going to jump that loudspeaker, you know, loudspeaker can, uh, or a sudden blast of music can, can really knock you off. Is it like also maybe riding in a car? prefer the windows to be closed? Yeah, I think I can. And you know, what's funny as my vision was uh, getting worse, um, oh, it looked, it looked like, you know, uh, when we were in the car, it absolutely looked like, you know, a Charlie Chaplin uh, movie, and Charlie Chaplin movie, but everything goes, seem that way. So, uh, what do you do about, you know, feeling disoriented when, you know, like you said? now prophetic remark that without the radio's noise serving as a beacon she ran into more stuff she blamed the environment everything is on an angle at that station she told her daughter that without the beacon she would end up on track two which is chilling for many reasons one problem that may seem benign to sighted people is her misplaced pride in fooling sighted people that she was not blind because she could walk a straight line to her coffee stand when the radio was on and thus did not need her long cane. If she had her long cane, everyone would have known that she was blind. Children who grow up blind or mobility visually impaired are taught this misplaced source of pride in deceiving sighted people, making them question whether or not they have a disability. Let's stop this lesson and replace it instead with a pride in the mobility tool that is obvious but effective. Terry's story also defines the true difference between orientation and mobility. Orientation is having that beacon that tells you which way to head. Mobility is using a mobility tool to make sure you have the path information needed to keep you safe from colliding with obstacles, to locate drop-offs so you can stop in time. Terry was run over by an Amtrak train, not because she was disoriented, 
but because she had no ability to detect track two in time to stop. And that's the difference between orientation and mobility. It's dangerous and we need to bring mobility tools up to the standard that it is impossible to see where you're going if you're blind and that is unsafe that is dangerous and that leads to death and injury unnecessarily and that is a sad legacy of terry and her wonderful life lived without ever ever having a mobility tool never being taught to use it and never being proud of it in the way that it should be. It should be a proud badge of honor to be able to keep yourself safe as you move about. And that's what we need to do for toddlers born blind, is to give them pride in wearing their belt game, that they can learn to stop when they feel the drop and save themselves from destruction. What do you want sighted pedestrians to do when they want to help? Ask me as a sight of fact, they know I'm fine thanks to safety. Yeah. But as, as I said, uh, all my life, uh, when I had this vision, if somebody offered to help, I always accepted it. You know, uh, if some other person with less vision than I had, uh, you know, they might not even ask me, you know. Um, would it ever be that you would try to locate someone to get assistance from, or do you usually have them come up to you and ask you? Well, uh, like say when we're in Atlantic City, we call for uh, security, and they come up and, and they'll say, well, where do you want to go? And yeah, we'll wait there because it's probably up to me and Terry, but we have no idea, you know, uh, where anything is. But a couple of times there when we stayed overnight, we had comp rooms, but we were ready to go down yeah you must be high rollers to be getting those comp rooms we we enjoy it you know the thing is um years ago i would have loved to have seen the rest of the united states um you know the grand canyon the whole nine yards yeah but right now um and she took me out to the grand canyon well we'll be she really was well you know it's a big deal right Which you don't like anyway. <laughs> yeah, so spend the money where you have the most fun. Uh, 
professional or consumer organization? No. Um, how did ADA impact you? Do you notice a difference before and after its passage? Uh, yeah, I do, and some of it I don't like. Uh, it's affected in a great, very adverse way. Are you familiar with paratransit? Yes. Well, before, um, before this ADA was in, we used to be able to go down to our friends in Yonkers. We would get on the, um, the power transit and go down. Now, it, it, was, it was really last if I told you. They would come here and take us to the bus stop to walk away. They would, we would take a bus and they would meet us again and take us to another bus. And then at the end of the line, uh, meet us at the end of the bus line and then take us to our friend's house. I mean, it is absolutely and totally ridiculous. And uh, none the, the people who used it before are using it all. And it was it was really great to go, you know, to be able to go to a doctor's appointment, you know. Uh, but now, uh, if the doctor's appointment is say in Tarrytown, all right, you're okay. But say if it's over in Eastchester, if you get off the bus. Sure, you know, but you know they never ask what happens when you get off the bus. 
Parent. Who asked that? The paratransit? The page um, application, you know. For the paratransit? Yeah. Then I, I couldn't even get uh, requalified because I never had any formal mobility. Joe, Joe still could go on it because he did. So it sounds like a good reason to get some formal mobility training. to your present level of mobility? this time with me. Well, thanks for everything. And I'll see you around Quotin Station. It absolutely did. I find it absolutely fascinating that you can live your whole life without mobility instruction. <laughs> Fabulous. Thanks, Terry. Bye. Terry is proof positive. You can grow up mobility visually impaired gifted intellectually, she got married, she raised a family, she even built a business, all without ever having orientation and mobility. She was born 12 years before the long cane was invented. She went to college at age 15. She talked about tricks for locating curbs at her small school, was filled with women who invested time in her, getting her to come out with them, taking her to class with them. She was befriended by a blind woman who had a long cane and who taught her to go to social events for blind people at the lighthouse. She credits this woman with giving her greater confidence, but it's misplaced, isn't it? Because confidence and smarts cannot outwit the inability to see the path ahead. Terry's story is powerful. It says, yes, blind or mobility visually impaired will continue to strive and thrive regardless of the obstacles they face. But what could Terry have achieved had she been allowed to walk through her world with independent safety? And now that a mobility tool exists for blind toddlers, why would we continue to insist that they are somehow better off when they have no ability to anticipate obstacles independently? Turn on the lights. It doesn't help. Put on the bell cane. It does. You've been listening to the Safe Toddlers Podcast. To learn more about our mission, to provide blind toddlers with a solution for walking independently with safety. We can be found through social media. Our website is safetoddles.org. We're on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Safe Toddles. And remember, if you can go where you want to, you should do so as independently and safely as possible. Thanks for listening, and please like, share, and let others know we're here. Come find us.
This podcast was made available by generous donations from people like you. We can go if we want to, kind of young and so am I. And we can just feel deep from our hearts to our feet and surprise them with a victory cry. Dance, we can dance, everybody look at your hands. We can dance, we can dance, everybody's taking the chance. Dance, save the dance, who will save the dance?